Uh, he knows what we need, and we don't. And so um, our quest for righteousness will take us through what we think are many, many detours, but they're not. And uh, you know, I think Hannah Hernard's hind feet on high places is just you know that that thorn that uh, thorn shaped seed that gets planted in her um, eventually produces unconditional agape love in her uh, because as we're looking at in in the Beatitudes you know it is it's a journey. It's a breaking journey, the journey into righteousness. Uh, we're looking today at hungering and thirsting after righteousness. <laughs> we don't have a clue as to how much self-effort we put into godly righteousness. you know. And the bottom line is, um, there's a book I read many, many, many years ago, a little small book called Relax and Let God by James Duncan. And I'm tempted to try to find that book and do a Christian dinner book club on it. But it was an eye-opening book for me. He was a pastor that lived in Tennessee, and he hit a burnout wall. He just said, I just can't do this. This flock is, you know, it's the Moses experience. This flock is too hard. Uh, and I, you know, I'm just, I'm tired. I, I, I'm through. And in that breaking, which these places that we come to where we are so worn out, that's part of the breaking journey. And um, in that breaking for him, um, he came to realize through just getting with the Lord and the Lord communicating with him that he was trying on his own to do what only God through him could do. And the phrase that kept coming to him was relax and let God, let go. Let go of your own effort. You know, do what you can do, but let go, but know the difference between what you can and what you cannot do. And let the outcome be in God's hands. Don't try to make the outcome right. And it was transformative for him. And he learned in that process, and what was transformative to me about this book was his understanding of the difference between human love and God love. Uh, until that point, I had sort of had this human view that, you know, you just work your way up the ladder of righteous love. You know, you, you mature and you, you morph. And you get better and better and better at loving until finally one day you kind of trip over into this unconditional love. <laughs> you know, you get to the top of the wrong and you just kind of fall over into the vat of the human love. The best that we can offer is the enemy of God love. And he said, because the motivation and the thrust both, the trajectory and the motivation both, uh, are opposites. That human love moves toward an object for what the object can give to it. And God love moves toward that object for what he can give to the object. Just the opposite. 
And, you know, I tried to argue in my mind with that for a little while, and then I stopped because I realized he was right. And so his, his understanding was that we had to stop trying to love perfectly, but to let go and let God's love flow through us, throw, flow through this clay earthen vessel, the conduit. And, uh, I mean, that just kind of changed my whole uh, way of thinking. And so when we're dealing with uh, blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, we're not dealing with our human version of righteousness. We're dealing with the righteous garment of God coming upon us and coming into us and changing our sense of what righteousness really is because ours is pretty much performance-oriented. Performance in how we think, performance in how we, you know, our attitude, performance in our behaviors, but it is performance-based. And so, hence, we're going to have God's refining work in us look radically different than we would have it look. Hence the thorns. Well, you know, after a while, we, you know, we, we come back into our human uh, approach to righteousness. And, and I think that's why our lives don't make sense to us, is because God is about creating his righteousness within us. And he will do that with completely different instruments than we would. You know, we would have a semi-monastic life. <laughs> Just come out at times when, you know, all is clear on the, on the Western Front. <laughs> when the war is over and we can just walk out and, you know, be healers. <laughs> and uh, he would have us be in the fracas and let it show us what we are. And let it show us who we are. We don't have a clue as to what we are until we get in the press of things. I mean, we live in the illusion of our own righteousness until the press comes. And then uh, the only appropriate response is to fall to our spiritual knees and say, Lord, you know I don't. And it is for this reason that you have come. So let's look. Uh, in Matthew 5. Well, it is because, um, you know, most of the time when I get in my head how something is going to look if God is in it, it tends not to look that way. And so, yes, it could be Satan trying to, you know, upset the apple cart. Um, but even if God has allowed, it is Satan, God has allowed that. And there then is is the rub for us, is letting God, giving to God what seems daunting, what seems impossible, and letting him move in the invisible realm in our lives and in our circumstances um, to see what he will work. And it may not be so much working in the circumstances as it is working in us. 
And it will always come down to that, for sure. And he may change circumstances. Um, but if he does not, then he needs to change us. And so there, at some point in that vortex, he is with you. And, uh, you know, it doesn't take very long for us to realize that God is the Lord of mystery. Because we live in mystery most of the time in our faith walk. Demanding to know what is to come. And hardly ever does he give us that. Or demanding to know why we are here. And what is going on. And, and you know, as I've said before, faith is that instrument which enables us to be at peace in mystery. Because faith is about mystery. Faith is about the evidence of things not seen. And you and I are Eve, reaching into that tree of knowledge and wanting to know before our time. We are Eve. But God demands faith, and faith demands, requires mystery by definition. And that's where the real rub for me is. I mean, I just have this desire after a while to not be in mystery anymore. You know, give me, give me some knowledge here. Give me some understanding. And the deeper I go in the faith walk, the less I know as far as the less I see clearly. I can see the next step, but I tend not to see as far down the road as I used to think I saw. We, we do try to figure it out. And I think the more you're in it, the more you just accept that you don't know that far down the road at all. And you don't know... Right here, what is at hand until it's time for the Lord to let us know. That's excellent. And we have faith enough for right now. And faith is sufficient for right now. And when it is time for us to know something beyond the now, uh, God will show it to us. Well, let's look here then. Um, <clears throat> In verse 6, Blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Um, The uncomfortable places in our lives, those pricks in our lives, are about creating a new thirst and a new hunger. First, those pricks create in us a desire to be free of the prick. And we have an insatiable appetite to be free of the prick. And so we try to fix it. We try to do whatever we have to do to get this thing fixed. And as, as we go on in the journey and the prick continues and the thorn is still in the flesh here, um, the demand and the requirements of a righteous journey are that we let go of the effort to be comfortable. Of the drive to be comfortable. And do, as Paul said, I found in whatever state I am to be content. To be in that moment, as uncomfortable as it may be, and feel what I feel. Most of my running and avoidance is trying not to feel what 
is going on, not to feel what I feel, not to feel the discomfort, not to feel the, the struggle. But the requirement of the overcomer, the requirement of righteousness, is that you and I stand in the wind and let it blow in our face. Let ourselves feel all that is there to feel. It's the lesson of, of it's, the, it's the example and the image both of Christ on the cross. You know, they offered to him up front the, the drink, the vinegar and wine mix to dull his senses. And he refused it. He didn't refuse it at the end. But he let his suffering do its righteous work. He refused to be dulled to the suffering that was his to know. At the end, after he had experienced that, he took it, but he died almost immediately. So uh, we're looking here at those things today that, that get in the way of our hunger and thirst after righteousness. Our version of a successful life is how much pain we can avoid and how comfortable we can become. Uh, the rich young ruler is an example of having so, uh, those possessions that made his life easy his life comfortable, and it hindered his, it it blocked his journey. You know, he turned and walked sadly away. So those possessions that possess us, those things of comfort and, and leisure that hold on to us more than the call of righteousness draws us, uh, they will hinder, uh, our, our righteous journey. Yeah, comfort. Just the familiar conveniences that we surround, that we feather our nest with. Just get that little nest all taken care of. <laughs> all these soft feathers. <laughs> Who wants a prickly nest? <laughs> Who in their right mind would make prickly nest <laughs> certainly not the human bird <laughs> okay what else yes yes Luke 8 the parable of the sower and some of the good seed, which is the word of God, falls uh, uh, on the ground and uh, starts to bring forth fruit. And then the thorns come and choke out the fruit. And Christ explains that in about verse 14, that uh, those thorns that choke out the, the fruitfulness of the word of God in us are the cares, the worries, the riches, and the pleasures all of this, this world. Uh, so those things that we, we long for, that the world offers, and the things that we fear that may be in this mix of our life, 
Yeah, the worries. Get us distracted. Not being careful about what we put into our minds, what we see, what we listen to. Boy, that can so blunt the luster of God's righteousness in our lives. And we don't, sometimes don't even know it. Uh, But it cultivates a soil in us in which the seed of righteousness will not be fruitful. What we put into our mind, if it's not if it's not guarded. I, I think that's one of the great dangers that we have in our culture today. There is so much that we put into our mind. And, and it's on TV, it's in the movies, it's, it's on radio. It, it, what, you know, and, and we can listen to radio or, or watch TV, and, and some programs are not in and of themselves, you know, they don't appear to be um, inappropriate. But then if we're obsessing about politics, getting mad and upset and angry and just going around with just, you know, I should storm Washington, (laughs) then where's my focus? Uh, Where is my hunger and thirst? If I fill my life with, if I fill my soul's stomach with junk food, then I'm not going to be hungry for the good stuff. Because it's, it's just like, you know, children wanting an ice cream cone 30 minutes before supper. You know, what, what does the parent say? You know, you're not going to have that. It'll spoil, your, it'll spoil your appetite. Spoil your supper. Because the supper has the nutrients. The dinner is the food that the children need. And the ice cream is the food they want. And it will keep them from eating what they need. So, we have to guard where we put our focus. Now, talk with me a bit about, you know, how that looks. It's not just... It's not just viewing and and bringing into us those things that are clearly wrong and clearly sinful. It's beyond that. What, what What competes with the focus for most Christians? Oswald Chambers says it's not usually that which is abject evil. The only real enemy, he says, of God's highest and best for the believer and the follower of Christ is that which is good. What does he mean by that? Absolutely. And it could go even to the point of being so busy in church work that you you lose your spiritual focus. You know, uh, busy doing good things. Busy doing things that that may be God's best for somebody else, but if I'm in there, okay, I'll do this because there's not anybody else around to do this. <laughs> the church will not make it if I don't step in because nobody else is stepping in. If, if I am doing what is good for me, I may be taking away what is best for someone else. I mean, that may be in a church setting, for instance, the good that I'm doing, okay, this is a good thing, it needs to be done, I'm going to do it. 
and no one else has stepped forward, but maybe this area is somebody else's giftedness. Maybe it's God's highest for them, but not for me. Then I am, I am kind of pouring out some of the best cup and settling for that which is good and not filling the cup with what is best for me as what God would have. Um, or just, you know, just doing a lot of good things and not listening to what God is really in his personal voice to me uh, saying. And that can, that can be done in church. That can be done in uh, our children's activities, in, in school work, 